Yeah, with our short Tetnia series on the five controlling faculties. Oh, shall I start again? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so, topic of our Dhamma talk this evening is the controlling faculty of concentration and Satya, this uh, talk then is part of our series of uh, on the you know, five controlling faculties. Now, concentration plays an important uh, role in the context of the meditation practice and even more so in the context of well, strive or working towards liberation. And concentration does not arise at all on its of its or on its own, but rather it is part of a sequence of factors. So one factor leading on to the next. Now, the Diganikaya contains a passage that clarifies or that speaks to this particular point, and it says, perfect wisdom arises through perfect concentration, and perfect release is the product of perfect wisdom. So if we arrange these factors one by one, then it is through perfect concentration that perfect wisdom can arise, and based on perfect wisdom, then perfect release will take place, release or liberation. It is only when the mind is well concentrated, unified, that as a retreatant one sees formations as they really are, namely in accordance with reality. Now, In terms of the controlling faculties, we've said in the pa- in past talks that each controlling faculty exercises control in its respective domain, and certainly so. In the case of f- the first controlling faculty, the domain is resolution, and in the case of Effort, as we've seen in a, in the previous Satna demo talk, the domain is exertion, and that covers you know, the entire spectrum, ranging from effort on the one hand side you know, to laziness on the other hand, and Satna then. We have mindfulness, and that sphere is known or referred to as awareness, reaching from absent-mindedness all the way to attention. And or absent-mindedness, forgetfulness, all the way to attention. And then, 
The next sphere is that of non-distraction. Are we keeper in the Pali scripture language? And that covers then the whole range going from a distracted or from distraction to concentration. Now, the relevant passage as mentioned in the Samyutta Nikaya for this faculty of Fatna concentration is as follows. Namely, it says, and I'm quoting the translation by Venerable Bhikkhu and what Bhikkhus, Bhikkhunis and lay retreatants, what is the faculty of concentration? Here, the noble disciple gains concentration, gains one-pointedness of mind, having made release the object. This is called the faculty of concentration. Now, having made release you know, the object refers to Nibbana. So having made Nibbana the object that certain one is certain practicing towards. Now, let us approach the controlling faculty of concentration by first looking at certain of the mental factor of concentration itself and certain then by learning about its certain different qualities we then better understand what this concentration is all about now from an etymological point of view, the Pali term samadhi, that usually gets translated as concentration, literally means the mental state of being firmly fixed. So uh, the word samadhi then consists of three parts, namely sam, then Ah, long uh, a, and the root da. So the state of being firmly fixed. Firmly fixed to what? To an object of observation. Firmly fixed to either an object of observation as it comes up in the Vipassana practice or an object a conceptual object as being used in samatha meditation. Now, a very simple definition of footnote concentration is certainly given in the Majjhima Nikaya, the 44th discourse, and there it says, one-pointedness of mind, chittas ekagata, Brother Wisaka, this is called concentration. So the term ekagata is certainly a term that is often or is used 
in in the context of samatha meditation for concentration and certainly then its meaning is as one pointedness now this mental factor of certain concentration is from an Abhidhamma point of view one of those seven universal mental factors that are inseparably associated with all consciousness. The Pani technical term for this is Sabachitta Sadharana. So this then requires some further explanations. One-pointedness or in concentration then can be further distinguished in concentration that is associated with wholesome consciousness and then on the other hand we have concentration that is associated with unwholesome consciousness. So in the case of um, concentration or one-pointedness that is associated with unwholesome consciousness, you can think of the following examples. A soldier who is in the midst of a raging battle will can can allow himself or herself to be totally distracted. What would happen if he would die? There you go. And certainly so <laughs> in so in the field of warfare concentration is required but it is certainly required in well with an activity that certainly is rather destructive by nature and therefore classifies as unwholesome associated with unwholesome consciousness now The same thing goes also for for a gourmet. You, you will surely know what a gourmet is. A gourmet is certainly someone, is a French word for someone who goes to restaurants and certainly then tastes certain food, samples certain various dishes, and certainly we can say, let's say, someone who uh, writes for some newspaper and writes uh, a weekly column on the best restaurants around town. So this person, when he or she, this journalist, 
when entering into a new uh, restaurant will have to be pretty focused because each and every moment counts and so, you know, then you know, when ordering you know, when ordering you know, the food the person has to be you know, focused concentrated and so, you know, then especially when you know, sampling uh, the various dishes if our journalist were you know, to be somewhat distracted well you know, then he might certainly miss uh, uh, some of the major uh, tastes and then would have nothing to write about. <laughs> or less. Well, anyways, in the case of a gourmet, the uh, context is that certain, uh, the activity involves certain sense pleasure, indulgence in uh, the sense pleasure of taking delicious food. So our gourmet has to be concentrated, but he's concentrated, well, in an activity that involves certain essential pleasures. So that kind of a concentration then qualifies as mitcha samadhi in the Pali scriptural language. No. On the other hand, concentration that exclusively arises in meditation practice when in, when being mindful of certain predominant certain objects in association with wholesome consciousness, such a type of concentration then is referred to as samasamadhi, so right certain concentration. Now, Various certain definitions for new concentration are around. The elder Buddha Gosa, the compiler of the Visuddhimagga, the path of purification, offers certain the following in the first volume of the Visuddhimagga, section 84. He says, concentration is the fixing, or is fixing the mind steadily on a single object of thought, observation, etc. Now, The Vibhanga, which is a commentary, or which is another Pali text, defines concentration simply as steadfastness of the mind. Now, interesting is certainly the following definition of concentration as given in the Majjhima Nikaya, namely its third volume, in section 71. Now there it says, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, 
right effort and right mindfulness. Unification of the mind equipped with these seven factors is called noble right concentration. So when you look at certainly this particular definition, then you see a close connection here between, or a close connection between virtue, sila, and concentration. So the sila is represented through two path factors, namely rights or even you know, four you know, path factors, th- three of them, sorry, uh, namely right you know, speech, then right action, and satna then right livelihood. Sometimes the question is satna being raised, can one do the mindfulness satna meditation, especially intensive satna meditation, without being well established in virtue, in ethical conduct? There are those who, or some who spread mindfulness and satna take this particular position and at least when we look at Satna the texts, then we find this would not be, or this is not quite Satna proper. So there is this strong connection between ethical conduct and concentration. So being established in virtue, that concentration can arise. Otherwise, if one is not established in virtue, one is likely to, well, maybe uh, transgress in one way or another, and later on have a bad, end up having a bad conscience about this. Now, other or synonyms that have been proposed in the Dhammasangani and certainly elsewhere for concentration are the following, namely non-distraction, also stability of mind. Now, the Visuddhi Magga offers Satna the following classical fourfold Satna definition for this mental factor of concentration of Samadhi in the Pali scriptural language. And it says that one pointedness has non distraction and non wandering as its characteristic. And its function is Satna to unify or to conglomerate the associated mental states. So in the case of a distracted mind, let's say some 
predominant object of observation is there and so the different Sadhana mental factors that Sadhana are operating at Sadhana the time might be working in different or with regard to different objects and Sadhana they are not really all unified or united and working on one single object at a time. And so, the mental factor of Fatna concentration allows or, or uh, ensures that all the relevant mental factors will work in unison on you know, the pr presently arisen object of observation. And that means then that the mind is very focused. Now, an illustration for a distracted mind would be that sudden of the light rays emitted by a condescent light. Because those light rays go in which direction? In many different directions. But if you think of a laser, a focused laser light, which consists of various laser rays, if those laser rays get bundled with the help of a lens, then the resulting laser light will be very extremely, extremely focused, extremely powerful. Now, the mental factor of fattening concentration is manifested as peace, and this is how we experience it in the mind. And in terms of its certain approximate causes, two have been mentioned, namely one being happiness, sukha, in the Pali scriptural language, and then the other being a continuous wise attention to the development of concentration. Now, The proximate cause, the first proximate cause, namely you know, being uh, happiness, happiness being uh, you know, the nearest uh, reason for you know, the arising of uh, concentration, this we can find out ourselves. When we feel quite sudden, secured here at sudden, this sudden meditation center, and um, we feel well-supported, all of our essential needs are well taken care of, then the mind will be in a happy mode, free from worries, free from any form of attention, and so on. And it is usually when that is the case that then it's easy you know, for the mind you know, to be fully focused on whatever predominant object comes up.
Now, a distraction of mind, wikipa or chitta wikipa in the Pali scripture language, is certainly given <coughs> as the opposite mental factor or condition to concentration. And that chitta sotna wikipa then is characterized in one way as the unsteadiness of the mind. Shakiness of the mind, uncontrolled certain distraction of the mind. Now, before going any further, allow me to then introduce another important distinction, namely that between the type of concentration that arises in the meditation of calm, so samatha bhavana, and the type of concentration that arises in the context of vipassana meditation. So, when one engages in samatha meditation, so one practices the jhanas, levels of satna absorption, then one is satna likely to experience parikama samadhi, parikama samadhi, which is a preparatory concentration, then access or neighborhood concentration, upacharatna samadhi, and satna then apna samadhi, attainment satna concentration. Now, when it comes to this satna form of satna concentration, it is uh, typically based on what kind of object? The conceptual object, yes, and one single conceptual object. So it's not like in our Vipassana practice that certain, where we use certain different certain objects as they naturally come up in the body and in the mind. So in samatha meditation, for instance, when recollecting the virt- one virtue of the Buddha, then the mind is fixed to that particular virtue, and one recollects uh, um, those or that particular virtue and contemplates satna on it. And if one were to engage in intensive metta bhavana, so loving kindness, satna meditation, then a retreatant would be continuously radiating loving kindness. And loving kindness itself is a conceptual object, an object that is artificially being introduced into the mind. Now, different satna from this is satna the type of concentration that arises in the context of vipassana meditation. Now, this is known as kanika samadhi, and which this Pali term translates as momentary concentration, and the term is somewhat satna misleading. It doesn't mean just one moment of concentration, but it means that uh, 
one ties together the many different moments of concentration that occur while observing different objects of observation. So when observing the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and the mind is firmly fixed you know, to you know, the rise and fall, then some moments of concentration will arise. And then if sooner or later some pain becomes predominant somewhere in you know, the body, one shifts one's attention to the pain, the mind suddenly you know, then fixes or gets you know, firmly fixed to you know, this sudden you know, object of a you know, pain, then and one observes it for a while, then you know, during those sudden you know, moments there will be some further moments of concentration. And then the same thing goes with other objects as they arise naturally. So pains, aches, rising, falling, sitting, or various sensations on the buttocks, mental objects like various mental factors, thinking, images that come up, all of those are objects that have ultimate certain character and uh, they are not of a conceptual uh, nature. Now, when we compare these two forms of concentration, namely the concentration as it arises in Samatha meditation with the concentration as it arises in the Pasna meditation, we can say in essence it's still concentration, however it's concentration that arises in different ways. So based on different ways of practicing. Now, what something could we possibly do to develop pertinent concentration and thus suddenly develop or, or, or arouse the controlling faculty of concentration? So one very simple step would be to ensure that our bodily conduct as well as our verbal conduct is uh, of a purified nature, of a pure nature. Now, the Majjhima Nikaya contains a passage namely in volume 1, section 286, where it says one speaks harshly, one utters such words as are rough, hard, hurtful to others, offensive to others, bordering on anger. And then the passage goes on to say unconducive to concentration. There you go. So, a very, uh, it's, uh, the statement is certainly very clear, and it's obvious when 
engaging in such a rough, harsh language, then clearly one is harming the person who is who has to listen to such kind of words, and one is also bringing harm to oneself. And sooner or later, when a person who's uttered such harsh words, when that person meditates, well, those words suddenly will come up in the mind, and the person might end up very much regretting what he or she has suddenly said. The Angucharnikaya in its fourth volume, section 87, then contains a passage along the same line where it says that quarrelsome speech will not certainly help the development of concentration. So then, being the case, when we do engage in uh, verbal communication with others during the interviews, or let's say when we have some practical, or we have some practical needs, so we need to talk to the staff here, then we want to make sure that our uh, communication is of a, is pure in nature and you know, conducive you know, to uh, well harmony. And being on good terms with everyone around you know, then you know, creates or contributes you know, to a sense of happiness, and with this, then quite naturally, concentration can arise. Can you think of other factors that might help uh, to bring about certain concentration if you don't have it right now? Simple things. Well, you're all engaging in it. Namely, even though you have eyes to see with, when you walk down at uh, uh, some path, you're trying to restrain your senses. Even though you have ears to hear with, yet you're trying to restrain your senses. So restraint of the senses is, uh, in the Pali scriptural language, known as Indriya and this is very much recommended in the text in several passages, even as uh, conducive uh, to the building of concentration. Now, what happens is when we uh, voluntarily restrain our senses, with this we cut out a substantial amount of uh, sensory or sense uh, or uh, sense or bombardment of uh, the senses. Now, every time some 
object impacts on one of uh, the sense doors, then this uh, will uh, lead to some activity in the mind and may lead to agitation in the mind. So if voluntarily we then practice restraint of the senses, then already quite a lot of unnecessary sense distractions will be reduced. And with not only this, but there is another added certain benefit certain here through restraint of the senses, especially when coming across, let's say, some desirable object, some enticing object. Well, if one doesn't see it, doesn't look at it, then there's no uh, reason for uh, temptation to arise in the mind, no uh, reason for infatuation to arise in the mind. If, let's say, you know, we come across certain some undesirable object that is to our you know, dis normally to our disliking, and something we practice uh, restraint of the senses and we don't even see that object in the first place, you know, then. Oh, ill will cannot arise. The Dhammapada contains a verse, namely 249, that Satna speaks in praise of contentment and Satna contentment then contributing to the arising of concentration. So if one is contented with Satna whatever little one has, then one doesn't desire for it more, then that Satna in itself then prepares Satna the ground for concentration. But if one keeps wishing, longing for this added uh, a form of comfort and uh, then again some some different one and sadness on, always uh, pining for uh, something better or uh, else, uh, then uh, the mind certainly will remain uh, somewhat unsteady. Now, a point that Sutton was mentioned already in the context of arousing effort is the aspect of moderation in eating. So, moderation in eating brings Sutton the benefit of. What's that? More energy, more energy, and certain moderation in eating also helps to stall sloth and torpor. There you go. 
And suddenly, in the absence of uh, sloth and torpor, it's easier for the mind to become concentrated. But if we indulge in food, and then overeat, and even end up with a stomach ache, well, then maybe the next when the next sitting takes place, the mind will be overcome by or overwhelmed by sloth and torpor. And when sloth and torpor has taken hold in the mind, then it will be then the mind will be in a pretty dull and lethargic state. And in such a mind, it's or such a mind is not going to be a concentrated mind. Now, there's a passage in the text that speaks to the practice of wakefulness, Jagari and New Yoga, and so, uh, the, that passage mm-hmm. says that Satna one practices wakefulness during uh, all or, or during the various uh, watches of the night and certainly this when engaging in walking meditation when engaging in sitting meditation and certain standing meditation and in each case one then practices wakefulness with an intent of purifying the mind of uh, obstructive states and those obstructive states are the hindrances the five hindrances so when a mind has been purified of the hindrances then it certainly will be easy to be focused but in the presence of or when the hindrances are present and working in different ways they'll then hinder the development of the mind, hinder the development of concentration. The Chankamatna Sutta from the Anguttara Nikaya, so the discourse on walking, walking meditation that Satna was Satna mentioned already during the previous Dhamma talk on effort. That Satna discourse gives Satna one of the five benefits of walking meditation to be a stable form of concentration. So out of uh, walking meditation, the Buddha says, arises a stable form of concentration. 
Now, there's a sequence of fundamental factors that is really useful to know. And this sequence starts with the overcoming of uh, uh, the hindrances, the five hindrances, possibly also overcoming pains and aches in the body. And this thing typically will lead, according to several passages in the texts of Diga Nikaya and others, will lead to the arising of what? Concentration. Not quite yet. <laughs> hmm? happiness. happiness. Still, there are other factors that precede the happiness. So, when. Well, what's that? Non remorse. Non -remorse. Uh, pardon me? Calm. Calm. Mm, well, that too, but uh, there's still you know, earlier factors. Well, you just start to think. You've dealt with the hindrances maybe for a day or two. It's been quite difficult. You really had to exert yourself. And now finally, you know, the hindrances subside. Are you going to be glad or uh, uh, quite sad about this? <laughs> Are you sad that the hindrances have left you? <laughs> Most likely not. So, gladness arises in the mind. The Pali term for this is pamuja, and certain gladness is said certain to be a weak form of joy, of pity. And that gladness then leads on to the arising of joy, full-fledged joy, beauty in the Pali scriptural language, that joy at first will be somewhat coarser, gradually becomes more refined. It will then prepare the ground for the arising or for the stealing of the body. So the body then previously was agitated, now calms down. When this has been achieved, this off usually goes then along with a stilling, a calming of the mind itself. So in other words, the mental factor of tranquility will be there. Basadi arises. And the basadi, and the tranquility or calm, also referred to as serenity, that satna then prepares satna the ground for state to arise, which you've mentioned already, namely happiness. And as we've seen so far in this satna discourse, the happiness uh, itself then is one of the proximate factors for the arising of concentration. Now, once you've seen this in this particular sequence in your own practice, then you might certainly be able to recognize it again in the future. And once you've overcome the hindrances, then you could, well, assume that most likely then a number of mental factors will arise that eventually lead you to concentration.
factor that contributes to the arising of fattening concentration, especially in the form of, or when practicing samatha meditation, when practicing you know, for the jhanas, that factor is certain, uh, the factor of seclusion, physical seclusion. So practicing in a mm, secluded and quiet place. In this way, the mind will not certainly be unnecessarily distracted. Now, when it comes to the insight practice, we have to make, or we have to distinguish two cases. During the early phases of certain ones that mindfulness inside practice, the mind will be easily distracted by external so-called noises. So hearing impressions. However, when one's practice goes a little bit deeper, and a retreatant then manages to gain the third insight knowledge, in particular the last part of it, when anatta becomes predominant, and at that point, or from that point onwards, the mind is likely to become more and more absorbed, and with this then, external noises or sounds are less of a problem. So just to know that with regard to those so-called noises in the Vipassana practice, at first they may they are experienced as a difficulty later on this is not really the case. Now, as with so many other mental factors or you know, the controlling you know, faculties, unwholesome mental states, when they arise and suddenly then do their work in or perform their respective functions in the mind, tend to agitate the mind. The Majjhima Nikaya, in its certain third volume, section 158, speaks of mental obstructions that certainly then um, could uh, um, hinder the development or the arising of concentration. And among you know, those obstructions in Pali, you know, referred to as upakilesa, we have doubt, inattention, sloth and torpor, consternation, elation, 
unease, excessive energy, deficient energy, longing, diversified perceptions, and excessive meditation on forms. So ideally, when the, our intention is to develop concentration, then we may want to encourage as many wholesome mental states as possible because this will help. Now, the Patisamita Magga, the path of discrimination, speaks of ten characteristics, ten qualities that ideally concentration should possess. And those are as follows. Namely, the mind is not distracted by pursuing the past. So, by not going into memories. Secondly, the mind is not agitated by longing for the future, nor is the mind shrunk through lethargy. Kusita is the pun term for this. And so this lethargy arises when sloth and torpor are prevalent. Nor is the mind agitated through restlessness, udicca, nor is it overcome by passion, raga, nor stubborn through anger, bhyabhada. So what we have here are already some of our mental factors that then correspond to the hindrances, plus two additional aspects, namely the mind that goes off into the past and the mind that goes into the future. Now, other characteristics that our concentration ideally should certainly possess is an equilibrium of the two pairs of controlling faculties, namely the first pair of faith and wisdom, and the second pair being the pair of energy and concentration. Then, those certain five controlling faculties, the text says, should be directed towards a single purpose. And certainly, most likely, this certainly then is well, whatever predominant object comes certainly comes along, but in the end, towards the realization of the Dhamma. There should be sufficient energy for the last two purposes available. And then, lastly, concentration gets strengthened through repeated practice.
practice. So if we try over and over and over again to be really focused, really concentrated with regard to whatever predominant object suddenly comes up, then over time the mind will develop, will learn this sudden skill and suddenly thus become more concentrated. Now, as mentioned in earlier Dhamma talks on the five controlling faculties, the balance of those controlling faculties is very important. Now, in the case of the controlling faculty of concentration, we can distinguish two two aspects, namely a mind in which excessive concentration has arisen or is present, and then a mind in which concentration is deficient. So a mind that is over-concentrated will then typically, or what will happen with such an over-concentrated mind? Sloth and torpor will arise, that's correct. And when there is a lack of concentration, this typically leads to restlessness or distraction. There you go. And this as retreatants, we can find out ourselves. So if we're trying very hard to be concentrated, and suddenly then we notice that suddenly the mind gets somewhat suddenly sleepy, well, then we can take that sleepiness as an indicator that our concentration was in excess. And then obviously the necessary adjustments need to be made. Now, similar to what's or similar to what was mentioned about uh, the controlling faculty of effort or energy the Patisamita Magga contains this passage where it says the five faculties are being developed in ten aspects and when one is abandoning distraction one is developing concentration. And when developing concentration, the faculty of concentration, one is abandoning distraction. Very simple and straightforward. Now, the third passage from the same fourth Fatna chapter of the Patisambhita Magga then speaks of 15 ways of purifying each of Fatna, the controlling faculties, and with regard to concentration, then the text says, when one avoids distracted persons, cultivates, frequents, and honors those who 
are you know, focused, concentrated, one-pointed, and reviews you know, texts or passages you know, then related to concentration, then the controlling faculty of concentration is purified uh, in a person in these three aspects. So there are quite a number of things that certainly we can or tools, so to speak, that we can use to first arouse concentration and certainly then also to ensure that our concentration is certainly well balanced, neither in excess nor deficient. Now, Allow me to conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk on the controlling faculty of concentration, Samadhi Indriya, in Nepali, by wishing may this particular controlling faculty first of arise in your mind, may it grow in strength, and certainly may it also become increasingly balanced, and together with the remaining controlling faculties, may, or together with faith, with effort, with mindfulness, may it contribute to an ever deep or an ever increasing of wisdom and may that sudden wisdom lead you to the realization of the peace of Nibbana during this sudden very retreat here. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.